Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Five minutes past 12 o'clock. Good afternoon. How are you doing? How's your Thursday been? Hope it's been uh, a peaceful one um, with a bit of sunlight, a little bit of rain. We never know what the next uh, minute or two is going to bring us. I'm Nikki Severini. It's so wonderful to be with you. This, of course, is the DL Link show where we connect you through insights, information and illumination here on 101.9. Hi FM. So I've been posting on social media about uh, what an extraordinary show we have coming up. And I want to tell you when my producer, Lee, um, first had the discussion with me and told me what we would be talking about and who the guests were. You know, I I felt a a range of emotions because this is such an important topic. Um, We we never want to talk about loss and death. And yet here on the DL Link show, we have to face it time and time again. Um, we interview incredible cancer warriors and we lose some of these warriors along the way. And this is what we talk about. This is what we bring into the open. So I, I always am encouraged when we have these conversations. But, you know, it, it did fill me with a sense of anxiety. There are people who are coming on the show that I've known for a long time um, who've dealt with a tremendous loss. Um, you know, at the same time, the, the dread talking about the, the subject of death. We spend our lives avoiding. It. And when we talk about death, we have to face that there is the, 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 the finite, you know, the, the immortality um, and, and the mortality and looking at and, 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 and talking about it and, and being able to have an open, honest discussion about it. And then inspiration and hope, because if we can talk about it, um, then it means for more fully living in this life without fear. So that's such a garbled introduction, but it's, you know, that's what this topic brings up in me. And it's not every day that I get to sit opposite a man that I dearly, dearly love and I admire and I respect. I've on various shows, I've had John Vlissimus on the show. You know, we have laughed together going back in time. When we had so many comedians and we just spoke about comedy. And then other times we spoke about how do we laugh at life when life is serious. We've spoken about xenophobia and racism. And even after the Charlie Hebdo killings in, in Paris, uh, John came in and we spoke about, you know, what is satire and when can we laugh at things and when should we not laugh at things if there should ever be that time. So to have John on the show again is a true privilege. John Vlissimus, can I call you a social commentator? Besides, you can call me anything you like. Hey, I just, I don't I, mind. I just love having you on the show. Oh, thanks. I love but, being in the show with you. You know, but it's a, it's a hectic topic, but you make light of these hectic, heavy, difficult topics. Yeah. That's what you do. Yeah. I think it's How important come? because How you, come? you have to eat darkness and you have to spit out light. Like that's the job. So I like that. I like comedy that lives next door to horror. Mm. What, what, what does that do for us? Um, it reminds us that no matter what happens, uh, there's always a there's a there's a defiance in the human condition. It's about survival. Uh, uh, the greatest, for me, the greatest humor systems on earth have arisen out of real suffering because mm. that's where they're necessary. I don't think comedy in Sanson for rich people has any meaning. Um, Russian humor, uh, the Jewish humor kind of system. Is loaded with real pathos. It's this incredibly empathetic, beautiful thing. It comes out of a place of pain. And, mm-hmm. and Irish humor, which a lot of people don't understand what people think is Irish humor, is just racism. It's this kind of stereotype that Irish people are stupid, and that's absolutely the wrong. It's a very sophisticated, self-deprecating kind of style of humor. So I love all of that. Eastern European humor can be really different, you know, and, and but deep. 
So, so I like, you know, I like those things. As I get older, I get more reflective on what's important about comedy. Because mm. a lot of comedy now is just, well, it always has been actually, uh, just a reinforcement of stereotype. It does nothing for like society at all, really. It just mm. lets the crowd decide on a lowest common denominator what's hilarious. So, you know, if someone not colored speaks like someone who's colored from Cape Town, people just start laughing immediately. What you're doing is saying that Everyone talks like that who's colored and also that just because someone talks, it's hilarious. You're not helping. So so that kind of comedy, it's kind of an pointing outwards. We can point, we can laugh, we yeah. can, we can, you know, put people into little boxes and stereotypes. Whereas this other co- uh, co- uh, comedy you're talking about, it goes inward. Absolutely. It's making us, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. It makes us question things. Yes. And in so doing, we're shining light. Absolutely. So, so this show and, that I'm And doing, making light, right. Exactly. This is about my dad's death. So, so, which is still very recent and very close to me. So that's why I wrote about it because it's not someone else's death I'm talking about. I'm talking um, about my death. Very personal. Yeah, absolutely. Like one of my favorite human beings on earth. Mm. So, so I'm not going to make jokes about someone you love who died because I wasn't there and I'm not involved. But I do think that if I do it honestly about what's important to me, you're going to feel it because mm. you will have felt something similar. Mm. John, we're going to take a quick break. Cool. We're going to be right back. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Thank you so much for staying with us. John Vlismus is in the studio. We're talking about his brand new show called The End. Um, it's on at Monte Cassino at the moment. Um, started on the 24th of April. Um, brand spanking new all the way all through new. till the 2nd of June. Um, I started off the show saying we're talking about something uncomfortable, something that's difficult, you know, on the DL Link show. As I said, John, we lose people all the time. We yeah. all lose. That's sure. this, this is life. But we then, all and, and you take these difficult topics. But you've taken a very personal topic yeah. The loss of your dad yes. How do you take something that is so personal to you And turn it into a show That you think other people are going to want to listen to And, and watch Yeah, it's a great question I, I'm, I, It wasn't on my mind how commercially successful It was going to be when I, when I decided to do it I always set myself a really hard task And, and um, just as I get older I mean, I, I think we, we all get more reflective And you, you want to do important work You don't really want to just do like, you know Frivolous stuff. So, um, I set the task. My dad had a great sense of humor. Um, I think I got a lot of my kind of comedy from him. Mm. He was very irreverent in his own way. Mm-hmm. Um, not just in comedy, but in his life. He was, he was, he was a man who didn't like institutions. He didn't trust them. So he never belonged to a club or a society. He had no real cultural kind of here he was a greek guy he had some greek roots but he he never put culture over the living which i really respected and he he never liked a club that required membership he didn't understand why you needed that mm. he's also like a self-made guy so he worked very hard with my mum and they started with nothing and and then he he did he did fairly well um so there was a lot to respect and and um i just thought that uh, one of the ways of sort of saying goodbye is to acknowledge that he doesn't doesn't he doesn't his kind of contribution doesn't end. I see it in myself. I see it in my daughter. Sure. So, so like we pass these things on and, and, but there's a very stupid approach to death. It's absurd. Like you were saying, we pretend like it's not there. Yeah. So we live our lives in this strange kind of way. In fact, getting into this building was a huge affirmation of how terrified people are. <laughs> um, <laughs> all the security. All that's incredible. And a little I've more never. security. It's, Do you feel secure right now? I, I feel so certain. Anything could happen. <laughs> Anything could happen, and I just feel like we'll be okay. Um, 
But we, we live with this illusion <laughs> that we can, we can amass and secure things, whether it's time or a relative, but you can't. And the bomber will get in, you, you know, whatever it might be, whether it's disease or accident or whatever. Like we live a random life. It, it doesn't matter what you think. The science is, has been done and, and we are random life forces living this random existence. There are trends and patterns and, you know, some stats, but ultimately we are just against the idea of loss. We don't like it. So we pretend it's never going to happen. And then we're devastated when it does, even though we always knew it's possible. So what what were your ideas growing up? So you've got this unusual dad. Like mm. he doesn't, he's not the typical, yeah. as you say, Greek dad going to the clubs and doing whatever. So he taught you to think expansively, to be quite introspective, clearly. Um, I mean, I just talk about the topics we talk about, which is what I yes. love. So, yeah, you got a lot of it from your pops. Yeah, absolutely. Death? What were his thoughts on death? Um, so, I mean... I think there were some cliches, but I think ultimately the things that stuck out for me when, when it, when it became really relevant, because the one thing about dad was, had a stroke five months before he died. So we were very, we spent a lot of time together in those five months, because I, I took time off from studying and stuff, and I, I decided I would, I would see him every week. Uh, and, and we worked very hard to try and make sure that he got better, um, but it didn't work. So, so, um, the things I learned from my dad were, number one, he said, it doesn't matter what happens. I've had a great ride. That, that was a wonderful, uh, quote. He lived by that. And, and when he, when it became relevant that we didn't know if he was going to make it, he said, if it goes wrong, I don't want a funeral. I don't want my friends to ever have to wear a dark suit or say a dreary word. And I thought, and interesting, wow. this was the first time you had spoken about that. When it really became necessary, yes. But, but he was always philosophical, uh, my dad, about that. Uh, he just, he never made it anyone's problem. Because it's a big thing. It's I don't massive. want a funeral. I it's don't want so people big. to come yeah. and, and, and mourn me. And no, so we, this is a big thing. We threw this incredible jazz party on a Sunday afternoon oh, under the trees. He loved did trees. You? Yeah. Oh. So we got a beautiful lawned area with trees. We had a magnificent jazz singer. Uh, we recreated recipes from his restaurant that he owned decades ago. We found the recipes. So we got people to remake the food sure. so his friends could eat the meals that they remembered and, and drink the booze and, it was just the most incredible celebration. Uh, you know, it was a great afternoon. So because there, there was an instruction and, and he just felt that he, he needed to leave that last reminder that we mustn't let it get us down. Uh, of course it does. I mean, obviously it's, it's devastating, but, but, and then I thought, well, if he had the courage to die like that, surely I've got the courage to do the show. Like surely, I mean, I have to. And then we had this ridiculous, we took his ashes, we smuggled them to Zimbabwe in, in a paper tube. <laughs> and we did. And we took him to the um, Victoria Falls rainforest, my family and I. And we're all there was no applying special nothing, you know, permission. Are you to... kidding? Well, he would have hated the fact that we got a permission <laughs> slip. So, oh, John. so we smuggled him into the rainforest at dawn. And, and uh, it was incredible. We had my daughter with us and my mum and my sister, my brother and my my. My sister's eight-year-old kid, my nephew, he was even briefed that if anyone asked him anything, just to deny everything. <laughs> and we, we basically like stealth scattered my dad's ashes while the Spanish couple had this huge argument coming down the path. We were under real-time pressure. And um, it's just – it was the perfect way to kind of celebrate this maverick human. Ah, uh, maverick human. Because it doesn't matter so how true. clever you think you are, how smart or beautiful or rich. Like it's, we strive for all this. And at the end of the day – 
And dad was lying on the bed and his heart was failing. Like, no, it's just none of it mattered. It was just about the fact that, like, thank you so much that I had the chance to spend time with this mad collection of molecules that's mm-hmm. lying here. Mm-hmm. And then I'm grateful that towards the end of his life, I was able to genuinely show, show the care that he'd given us. You know, that's the, that's the proof of life is, mm-hmm. am I capable of showing love the way this man has? Mm-hmm. And, and you, you are, and well, you, you were, and you are. Yeah, and you know, like his final gift to us by dying was he pulled us all closer. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a big thing, and he it didn't want to die. Thing. Like, I'm not going to pretend like it was, you know, this joyous thing where he just part. He was very unhappy to be dying, and he was afraid, and, you know, but he didn't make it heavy. We did. He wanted it to be as light as possible. And at the end, when his heart genuinely should not have been beating anymore, it was badly, but it was beating for much longer than a normal human heart should withstand that kind of damage mm. because he didn't want to die. Mm. So he put up this incredible fight. And, and I just kept thinking, it's beautiful. It's a magnificent, like this, this final defiance of like, I don't care what the physics are. <laughs> I'm not going now. And then, and then, <laughs> this heart will beat. Yeah. So this it, heart will beat. You know, it's a, it's a horrible thing, but, um, sometimes you need horrible things because it reminds you how much you love your daughter or how you need to fix things with your friend. Or yeah. So is that your message, John? I mean, within, with, within comedy, because people are going to sit down, they're going to think about things. You want them to laugh. Yes. You want them to really mull over, but you, yeah. you, you want them to walk away changed in some way. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, Look, it's a very controversial show. It's very inappropriate. I'm speaking very nicely now about my I'm dad. I'm sure I wouldn't. It's an know. adult show. Yes, Don't I'm bring sure any children. I mean, even some adults shouldn't be there um, um, <laughs> because it's deeply offensive to some. I mean, I talk at length about us as a – I'm very much into science. I'm very much into, like, the data and the research. I believe strongly in evolution and the evidence for evolution. I know that upset some people, but that's not my problem. Um, um, so I speak about us as an ape. Um, as, as the ape because we were one of ten varieties of hominid that walked mm. this earth mm. and uh, in fact an Israeli professor who's become my new favorite author uh, Yuval Harari is a genius amazing you must you loved his oh, book eh? oh, I've read all three of them oh, okay he, I'm so just thinking good. sapiens but right yeah, sapiens then homo deus and now 12 I think it's called 21 lessons for the 21st century um, it doesn't end on a very positive note but um, but Yuval Harari talks about us as being the ape that kind of won. We beat all the other apes. So Homo sapiens became the leading hominid and we beat all the others into existence, uh, um, extinction. Um, and, um, and what his theory is that we have the ability, we're the only ape that has the ability to tell stories and then believe them in groups. So we believe fiction into existence. Hmm. And if you think about a nation or a currency or a corporation, these are all fictions that are collective. We've just decided that this piece of paper means that this entity now has human rights, which is what a company is. Or this currency now has a relative value to other currencies. It's nothing more than a group uh, fiction. So, so we've done that. And then I talk about how we've decided that there's an afterlife because we, we cannot face the horror of ending. Oh, that's just another discussion. A whole other uh, discussion. We're not going to even go to afterlife. Let's I'd, stay I'd, with this life. Absolutely. And ending at a point. Let's take a break, John. We're going to be right back. Hashtag you don't have to be Jewish. 
101.9 Hi FM, you are tuned to the DL Link show, um, where we connect you through insights, information and illumination. Um, John Vlismas in the studio talking about his new show called The End. Yes. It is controversial. It's in your face. Mm. It's going to ask uncomfortable questions. Yep. It's going to challenge your beliefs because you may be very set in beliefs and yep. you are going to come along and challenge others. And there's a lot of personal sharing. Yes, so the second half of the show is literally the story of my dad dying. Okay. Blow by blow. And blow by blow. Yeah, and I take people straight into that room where it happened. How do you do that? How do you do that? Is uh, that cathartic for you uh, or is that just uh, like a nightmare? I, I think it's a bit of a nightmare, but, but I, I did it last night and, and I have to say that I, it was incredible to feel the room shift from really laughing to really just feeling that they were there. Mm. And, and, uh, it's cool because it's a nice send-off. I, I think it's important that we – on uh, because I don't want to just upset people, you know, and tell them that what they believe I don't believe. But I think it's important to show them a view of why I believe what I believe. And so part of that is to be honest and vulnerable and show them where we were as a family the, the moment my dad died. Because hmm. I made a joke as my dad died. And, and I wasn't being disrespectful. That was my highest kind of – that was my, the only way I could say goodbye to my dad was a joke to my mum. And, and I have to say it broke the tension a little bit. Um, but I knew at that moment that it was okay because that's what I needed to do. And my mum, after I told my joke, she asked for pizza. That was just her way of dealing with. There's no right or wrong. No, you've got to There's do whatever no, you need to do. You've got to do what you Absolutely. need to do. Absolutely. So I was driving around and Durban. And for you it was a joke. 11 o'clock at night in the rain looking for pizza on a Sunday night because that's what she needed. Wow. So I went to look for it. <laughs> and find, I found it. Did you find it? It was the, probably the worst pizza ever. But <laughs> it she couldn't have been good pizza though. Let's be honest. I think she really wanted pizza yeah. to be honest. Yeah. I think she just needed to organize. That was her... Way of dealing, like normality, feed everyone. So for you, it was the joke, and we're yeah. not going to share your joke because we want people to come, come to the show and yeah. they listen to yeah. they listen to the joke. Yeah. They listen to that, absolutely. And the next day, because that was your reaction. Sure. The next day. So then, obviously, you go from you're in denial. You wake up expecting to go. Through. I used to wake up. I mean, I was there all the time, so I would often get up early, like three or four in the morning, and then go and relieve the night nurse, so I, they could get some sleep, and then I could spend time with Dad. I mean, he was sleeping, but I just kept an eye on him and then be there when he woke up because that was a cool time. Um, and um, and so you would get up and, I mean, I went through. And then I was like, oh, there's no bed because no. Dad died last yeah. night. you know. Yeah. And that's it because it's an imprint on you. So it's still there. It's like a phantom limb. So you don't – my mum, I think um, – my mum, I think, experienced relief to a degree um, when Dad died because she'd put so much time in. To looking after him. I mean, not to be awful. I think just the resources on her. I think people listening can absolutely understand what you're saying. And then, and then in the aftermath, like she then started to feel his absence. So she went from this kind of almost instant freedom to this deep. I mean, it's 46 years of Mm. of companionship. Mm. You, it's part of you's diet, you know. So she then, no, now mum is lonely. It's, it's been, it's been a while since yeah. October. Now she's really feeling. Cause it's life. Now life. Life, this is, is, life yeah. is happening. Just before the break, you were talking about the book, the books, the three books. Yes. You were talking about the scientific approach. Yeah. Off air, I was saying, you know, do you believe in life after death and yeah. past lives? And, yeah. and it was quite an interesting, very quick little discussion that we had. Yeah. And, and you, you talk about going into the room and, and feeling the bed not being there, the yeah. essence of your father, and you're saying it's like a phantom limb because it's yeah. imprinted in your DNA. Yeah. And energetically, though, John, I mean, the energy of your father. 
Yeah, I mean, we, we you know, we can talk about it, and I, and I think it's a it's a, it's it's a case of interpretation. Some people internalize those algorithms. I'm doing a lot of work at the moment with a new business to understand human happiness, mm-hmm. and the results are really like scientific. I, I mean, they are. What you call happiness is really just a cocktail of drugs working on a ne- nervous system and in a neural network. From my point of view, what I do know is you can hack it and you can start to convince a brain that it's happy. And then once you've done that initial work, it becomes infectious. So you can infect the people around you with happiness. And then what you can do is work on long-term happiness strategies. So like partnership, altruism, gratitude. Those are all things that actually sustain happiness in the long term. Wealth doesn't. Um, attractiveness doesn't. Um, um, and funny enough, Nordic children don't raise your happiness as much as you think mm. in the data. You are more uh, made more happy by a good partnership than by having children. Hmm. Yeah, really? I mean, I, and that's not my opinion. Wow. That's wow. just the data. Well, they did the happiness study, a 75-year happiness study. And that's what they found. So I didn't know about the children, but they found mm. that it was the relationships in life. Absolutely. Who, who, why were you yeah. happy? It was these relationships. Quality of the connections. The quality of the connections. Yeah. Incredible. So I've, I've changed my whole life based on that. I've actually ended a very long-term relationship. I've just, I don't manage comedians anymore. I'm not, I've got rid of that part of the, I've given that business away. Wow. I, 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 when my dad Such died, I just like decisions, diamond man. clarity. When yeah. my, well, it would be a real disservice to my dad's gift. If I didn't act on it, because I think a lot of us know what to do. We just don't have the courage to do it. The gift of stopping being with him, being present, being conscious, being reminded that this is life for living. Is, yeah. that, is that what you don't want when you yeah. say the gift? Well, it's the gift of almost you lose a very preci- precious relationship. So you suddenly understand the value of them. And I think a lot of us invest in average relationships because we compromise. I think we have to do the work. Hmm. You know, you've got to spend more time on your tiptoes than f- flat on your feet reach all the time reach and and you put the best in and then um hopefully the other person gives you the best of them as well and you won't always win i mean you'll fail obviously but that's okay rather fail reaching than not trying i mean i I think that's tragic Mm. and i'm a a weirdo like i've grown up in a very weird environment i love it open-minded expansive i used that word earlier just in investigating and, and being Always. willing to, to learn new things. So nature no, doesn't learn anything do from an average life. Uh. You see, we think our life's important. It's not. Life is important. So nature is constantly reprogramming based on mistakes. What nature needs each individual to do is make as many mistakes as quickly as possible because that's how you resequence. Mm. So, so, so if you live an average life, you haven't helped at all. Nothing. So you're doing your bit, John. I'm trying my best. <laughs> I believe nature follows me with a notepad. Nature <laughs> reprogramming everything after John Vlissman. Like, I'm telling Phew. you. So I, I'm, I'm going to bring our next guest Super. on, you know, because it's, it's, you're talking about the loss of your, your father, mm. this incredible human being who taught you so much, but having these five months to mm. mourn him. Yep. To have that time with him. You said the precious gift of that. Yes. And really, really being in that moment and taking everything you possibly could out of the moment. So my yeah. next guest right. didn't have that opportunity. You yeah. know, we're, we're talking about someone who was a part of her life for, I think, married for 23 years. Uh, Nikki will expand on that, whether I'm right or wrong. 26 years and in, within an instant, an instant, her life changed and, and her husband was taken away sure. from her. And how does one reconcile that? So, right. um, we're going to be talking to Nikki Bush in just a moment. Hi, Nikki. Come on over. It's, 
Fantastic to have Nikki on the show. And John, you stay where you are because I want to just talk a bit, uh, you know, no, that's because fine. The, because I owe Nikki show... a lot. I often listen to advice. I've, she's helped me Parenting. with my, my daughter. Yes. Nikki, aren't you worried everything that's coming out of his mouth? I'm a bit <laughs> concerned about how he's bringing up. I'm joking. I'm joking. Hello, Nikki. Hello, Nikki. How are you? Fine. Thank you. And hello, John. Hi. Nice to meet you. How's it going? So, so, oh, so this is the first face to face introduction. Yes, I've, yes, I've taken advice. Nikki, John, John, Nikki. You and you've listened to me. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Mutual <laughs> admiration. I'll just leave and the two of you just carry on. Whatever you want to talk about. (laughs) Nikki, hello, hello. Thank you for having me, Nikki. Thank you for coming on. You You are so brave. You are so brave to be doing what you're doing. To talk about such a loss, to talk about how your life has shifted, to share it so openly with everyone. And I love that you do that because so many people listening um, are going to learn something. Many people who have experienced such a tragic loss, those who haven't but are just too scared to face when I started talking mm. about these kind of things. And, you know, we were talking about Johnny's got this show on. It's it's the end. Mm. Um, we, and he spends a lot of time talking about the loss of his father. And you heard me saying John had this gift, the gift of saying goodbye. You never had that. Take us back. If you can, as briefly as you want to, or as detailed as you want to, to that that awful time in in November. Nikki, I think some of the most defining moments of our lives don't come with any fanfare or warning. Mm. And that was precisely what happened to us. And just after three in the morning, our lives changed irrevocably Mm. in just six minutes. And it was just a very ordinary kind of evening. Uh, dog was barking, bottom of the garden. And uh, I woke up at three in the morning. My husband wasn't in, in bed because he was already watching TV, couldn't sleep. And yeah, literally in six minutes, uh, he was taken out by a single gunshot to the chest, uh, bullet lodged in his heart. He'd gone out to see why, why the dog was barking. And there were two armed intruders in our property who then came into our home after they'd shot him, uh, worked my son up at gun, gunpoint. I had literally the hackles on, on the back of my neck had, had risen and I knew something terrible something. was happening. Yeah. Somewhere, somehow, I never heard the gunshot. I still haven't heard it and maybe it'll come at some point. Maybe sure. I buried it somewhere. Yeah. But I just knew there was a commotion and something really bad was happening. And I, I ran a scenario that I had passed on to my children when they were very young, that if something bad happened, I would wake them up at night and I would tell them to run and they were to lock themselves in the bathroom and not come out till, till I told them to. Mm. And I ran that scenario. I locked myself away. And that's really why I'm here today, because I made a split-second choice uh, to lock myself away and call for help with my cell phone. And I refused to open the door, even though my son was at gunpoint behind the door. And that's probably what saved both our lives. So there was a combination between um, running a program, running a script, and using instinct of refusing to open the door. And we had solid Maranti doors that were about three, four centimeters thick. So when they were trying to kick the door down, it didn't budge. But had I opened that door... The horror. The horror. The horror, Nikki. But had I opened that door, and this is quite an interesting um, thought, because, you know, it was a decision no mother should have to have made Mm. to lock myself away and leave my son at their mercy. And... I have subsequently worked it through because this could have gone even, you know, worse. Sure. Could have been far worse. I could have been raped. My son could have been killed. 
But um, by keeping myself locked away and by refusing to open the door, my son was safer and so was I because he had nobody to protect. He was not vulnerable mm. because he didn't have to protect me because mm. I was safe. He knew I was safe. Yeah. And he very calmly told them that I'd already called for help and there was no point hanging around. And they left. So, you know, one does, and my eldest son wasn't home at the time, and he was driving home at the time. Was he? And he got this little voice inside his head that said, turn around and go back to the party where you were at. And he went all the way back to Elovo, got another parking ticket, went back to the club, at which point I phoned him screaming we were being attacked. So I think we've all learned some, you know, Enormous lessons about listening to your gut, gut. feel and your intuition mm. because how it do you hear that? But that gut, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there were five different voices screaming at the same time, Nikki. I just think when you are in that kind of situation, you pare things down, yeah. and and what you need, if if you're open to it, what what you need to know comes to you, mm. and trusting it. So learning to trust our gut feel has been a huge lesson in this situation, but. Um, yeah, to have to have your life changed so quickly is a massive shock, the trauma. And I was thinking about it um, on the way here. And the first year, because it's now about 17, 18 months, the first year physically, so it, it affects your body, your brain in a, unbelievable ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also when you're in business, and I'm an entrepreneur like John, mm. you know, we have to keep getting up and Create, standing up. Creating, and creating doing, content yeah, and, and yeah. whatever. So how it affected my brand, my I mean, business, did, you did, know, did, all of those didn't things. Didn't it shut down? Didn't your brain hugely, shut down? Hugely, hugely. Very, very um, – and, and even now I sit with a few notes here because – my brain is still coming together after right. being completely um, shattered. Mm. So it's, it's, a, it's, you know, firstly, you realize that you, you have no control. Yeah. Control is an illusion. Mm. There is no control. Mm. The only control we have is the power of choice about this very next. The moment we're in right now, now is all mm. we have. Mm. And what I choose to say and do uh, and how I choose to be right now is all I actually own in this life is mm. this moment. So, I think we've become very conscious about the fact that we only have this moment. While we have to prepare for our future, we actually only have now. Um, the gift of tears is is huge. Um, so I think I have learned to cry. I, I've discovered you cry from all sorts of places in your body. Mm. Uh, and mm. I felt at times I've cried from my hands, my throat, my head, mm. my heart, my gut. But this first year was very much the physical pain sat in my in my gut. And that was where I took the shock, just around the solar plexus, mm. like I'd been kicked in the gut. Sure. And actually, it's such an indigestible thought that another human being can take another human being's life. That is so indigestible. And that sat in my gut for so long, and I physically had stomach pain for almost a year on and off. And I was thinking the other day that that, that pain has gone now, and obviously I've done a lot of work on myself. I had a lot of therapy and lots of counseling, lots of coaching, cried a lot, mm. processed a lot. Mm. Grieving is an active process. It ends with I-N-G. 
And so for me, grieving is, is, uh, praying and contemplating and reflecting and swimming and walking and reading. And it's all ING's. Mm. Okay. And the, the pool, the swimming pool, swimming 25 meters over and over and over again in the gym is part of how I have dealt with, with my grief. But that pain in the second year now, and some people did say to me the second year can be far worse than the first year. The pain now, um, the pressure, it's almost like a pressure less than a pain, moved into my chest. Mm. And literally just the past week or so, I suddenly feel there's space in my gut and there's space in my chest again. I'm probably breathing for the first time in 18 months. Sure. Yeah. Nikki, is that... Um is that because you've been actively working on it? Do you think it's just because that period, it takes that period of time and then you'll feel that lightness, the removal of all that, that energy, the it's kind of a delayering restriction. Nikki. It's a delayering. Mm. And every time you work through a layer, there's another one. And you know, just Which as is you life. think, yeah, the essence it is of life, life really. And, it's like an onion. Mm. There are so many layers to this thing, and a lot of them are unanticipated. And things catch you when you are least prepared for it. So just as you think, sure, I've come through, and it kind of feels to me like three or four months go by, and you come out of a process, and then and then you 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 move onwards and upwards with more light again, mm. and then something else hits you. And they say it takes about three years for this kind of traumatic loss to to work through your system. Not that you get to an end because it's merely a process. Mm. Uh, you're not going to a place. You're just absorbing it. And in a way, it's um, that hole, the hole that person leaves behind. And, John, I'm sure you will identify with this. Your dad left a hole that was shaped like him behind, yep. as my husband has left a Simon-shaped hole mm. In our lives, and nobody will ever fill that mm. hole. That mm. is, and and I hope we all leave a hole that is shaped just like us. You know, <laughs> then then we've really lived and we've really contributed, and we've left, <laughs> you know, we've left a stamp on people's hearts and on their minds. Mm. And Nikki, the the processing that's happened that you can sit here and you can explain it in this way, is incredible. Wow. Let's take a break. We'll be we'll be back. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Sure, 101.9 High FM, the Deal Link Show, where we connect you through insights, information, and illumination. This show should really be three hours long. Um, we're talking about such personal um, experiences. We're talking about loss. We're talking about finding strength and resilience through huge adversity. And, of course, the greatest fear of all, the fear, you know, we, we, we always talk about cancer on the show, but the, the greatest fear death, losing someone that you love. John Vlismus um, talking about the loss of his father, um, having a stroke five months before and, and really having the gift of spending this time with his father and finding out so much about himself and his life and not um, settling uh, with anything and, and rather moving forward and making so many changes, so much so that we have the opportunity to go and watch an incredible thought-provoking I'm sure irreverent and, and humorous and very sad show all all in one, John. Um, and that's at uh, Monte Cassino. It's the Peter Turin. Yeah, the Am studio, the, the little venue. It's like yeah. really intimate. Yeah. We can feel each other's breath as Amazing. we go through this. 
beautiful. And that's till the 2nd of June. It is. And I really encourage everybody to get tickets. Go. Just be challenged. Um, have doors opened, laugh, cry, run. Yeah, watch me say Don't goodbye take to my him dad. Six shows a week for six weeks. <laughs> I didn't think this through. No, you didn't, eh? You did. But it's good. Uh, Nikki, and so Nikki, um, just talking about the kind of, wow, therapy, Nikki, and so much work that you've done on yourself, um, that you can sit here and you can say, this was the process. This is what we learned. This is what we gained. This is what it's been. They said, that's so much processing. This dark fog, this, I'm sure the strangling, panicking, but mm. you're just making, you're trying to sort it and piece it and, and, um, trying to come out the other side all yeah. the time. Does it feel like you, you, you've said two years, one year, two years, people say three years. Are you breathing? Are you, definitely you say lighter? Bre- yeah, but definitely breathing again. And I think probably what John and I have in common is that we have the power of the platform and we get to use the spoken word to impact our lives. And I think, um, what we get to do is articulate what other people maybe can't say. People who've been through similar things and can't actually put into words what it feels like because I have received so many emails from people who've listened to me either on the radio or come to talks, etc., who've said, thank you, thank you, thank you for saying what we actually can't find the words to say. Mm. That is exactly what it feels like. Mm. Um, you know, to be, I had, a, I had an email from a, a woman who hid under her bed while her husband was shot in cold blood in their bedroom. And she made the choice to hide under her bed and not expose herself. And she lived with that choice and that decision. And when she heard me on the radio the other day, she said, the whole time you were speaking, I'm going, yes, 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 at last somebody who understands what I feel like, you know. Uh, of so, so I guess, you know, um, people are watching how we respond to what mm. life brings us. Mm. And I guess when you're in the kind of work that we do, um, our life events definitely shape the content of our work. And I think I'm as as interested in human behavior as you are. Yeah. Yep. And mm-hmm. so in a way we're going through our own process but we're also watching and observing our process. Mm. And so we find it interesting what we're going through, even though it's so devastating. And what I've decided is, and there's a lovely, um, there are two things that have, that have helped me. And the one is Anais Nin <laughs> said that, um, life, um, ex- shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage. And I've said that Nikki Bush says that life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage and curiosity. Mm. Because if you are curious, because what happens with death is life stops as you know it, Mm. and it begins again. So there is a before this, and there is an after this. And when it begins again, you can either get stuck in the collateral damage, of which we had a lot because it was so sudden, or you can flip into collateral beauty. And it's not that you ignore the damage. You flip-flop in between the two, but you can't get stuck in the damage. Mm. Otherwise, it's a full stop in your life and you get buried and you become a victim of the trauma and the tragedy. But if you can see yourself existing and, and experiencing the collateral beauty, a whole world of possibility opens up to you. Life can look very different to how it looked before, but it can also be an adventure of unknowns. So... I, I am learning to live with living in the unknown mm. and that there is a certain kind of excitement and adventure to that if you see it through the lens of curiosity, not fear. And then there's something else that is really interesting, and that is that the, the night of my husband's funeral, I, f- I just burst into tears at 10 o'clock that night, and I, 
a friend of mine looked at me, and she happens to be a psychologist, and she said, what's going on? And I just said, this feels like a full stop in my life. I don't know what tomorrow looks like. I have absolutely no clue. And that was my truth. And for somebody who's a visionary, who always plans, has a plan for the future, this was probably the scariest moment. And she said to me, perhaps you need to reframe it as a comma and dot, dot, dot. (laughs) As a pause, as a pause in your life. And the dots are the future that you are going to create. Mm. And I think in that moment, she empowered me so much to embrace this unknown future and go and make of it what I want to. And Mm. as somebody said to me, because my children are 19 and 23 and because everybody knows what happened, I, (laughs) and because of my age, um, just over 50, I have acquired a very rare form of freedom. Mm. What am I going to do with that? And that is both equally exciting and terrifying at wow. the same time. Wow, Nikki. Wow, <laughs> John. I mean, in the way you've put it, again, I, I think, you know, people listening right now, it's, it's so hopeful. It's, it's bringing a lot of hope and, and depth and understanding into what can be very limiting and, um, and quite suffocating. I just, I, I want to bring in Michelle, um, our, our next guest. Um, Michelle Schwartz, um, was on the show last April, you said, Michelle. Welcome, yes. welcome back. Thank you, Nikki. Thanks for having me. I'm so sorry for your loss, Michelle. We Thank were talking you. about your sister, Larice, uh, dear Link Warrior. We loved Larice dearly, dearly. Um, and she passed away just a few months after the interview and then just two months after that, her husband passed away. Yep, that's right. Yeah, and that's yeah. huge, and that's tragic, and that's a lot to deal with. How yeah. has that been? It's been a big chapter that's been closed in many people's lives. Um, the circumstances were a little bit different to your other two guests, but at the same time, I guess we all go through a very similar experience of that loss. Um, while the loss brings an enormous amount of sadness, um, a huge void at times, it also opens up a huge amount of opportunities and it opens up new avenues and it makes you take stock of yourself in very many ways. For me, um, I was very fortunate to be able to participate um, a month ago in the Jerusalem Marathon with the DL Link team who were an enormous part of both Larice and my life um, from the day she was diagnosed. And that is something I would never, ever have dreamt of getting involved with mm. before all of this this happened. And um, that was really to honor her, and um, it was a huge event in my life. It changed me in many ways. And I think it brings out a lot of emotions in us that we don't, we didn't think we had. And I think both of your guests have highlighted a lot of that. So I won't go into the same um, things they've spoken about. But I think the one thing that I've really learned is I've always been a very positive person and I look for the positives in everything in life. And while my sister was really battling and struggling as a warrior with this, this cancer, um, you know, I tried every morning to focus on the positive for her, which is really hard. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think anybody that's not going through it can actually truly understand what a patient goes through. At the same time, um, I keep saying to myself, 
um, you know, focus on the positive, focus on the positive. What I've realized is there are the sad times. And grief is a process where you have to allow those sad times to happen as well. You can't shut them out. Mm. Um, and I've just had that recent experience. Coming back from the Jerusalem Marathon, I was on such a high. It was about eight months since she passed away. It was in honor of her. Everything was really going well. And the following week was the joint unveiling of her and her husband. Um, and I hit such a low oh, that I'm week. Sure, I'm you know, sure. It was going from this extreme high to this extreme low. And I think some people try to hide from the fact that you're going to have the ups and the downs, but you are. And you've got to work through those, I believe, because otherwise you're never going to come to to that new life. You're, you're only going to come to a full stop if you don't work through mm. it. You won't come to that comma, comma dot, 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 dot. Mm. Uh-huh. Mm. We're going to take a break. Thanks, Michelle. After the break, Leonard Carr, clinical psychologist, is going to be joining us. Leonard's been listening um, to these incredible wise insights, processing of um, such loss. And let's see what, uh, hear what Leonard has to say. Stay with us. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. A welcome back, DL Link Show, where we connect you through insights, information, and illumination. Wow, what a show. Finding strength and resilience through huge adversity. So, um, Leonard Carr, we haven't had you on the show for ages, Leonard. Welcome yeah. back. Thank you, Nick. Lovely to have you. I know you were in the U.S. Yeah. And you're back. I'm back. Back to normal living. You know, you had to do it eventually. Right. Life continues. Right. So, Leonard, listening to these three extraordinary guests, all processing loss um, and, and being able to express it in three different ways. What, what, what do you have to say about this? And that's a very open question. That's a very open question. Well, I think the one thing is that loss is very, you know, how one deals with it is very individual. And it's a very personal experience. And, uh, you know, in fact, one sees even, you know, spouses, when, when they share a loss, it can drive them apart because of the different ways that they each deal with it. So I think, you know, I think the individuality of it also makes it a lonely experience because it's it's so personal, it's so close to who someone is that it's very difficult to express that or to share that with someone else. Um, and all the meaning and all the layers. And, of course, as soon as you try and put something into words, you're reducing it into something um, that has not a fraction of the meaning that the experience has. Um, and I think that that's the struggle. It's one long process of trying to actually relearn your life. Because, you know, I see loss, <clears throat> um, especially bereavement, as a kind of forced exile. Um, it's as if you plucked out of your normal life and forcibly shifted into a new place, like a refugee. And even though your, your geographic circumstances stay the same, um, your internal world is so different that you're like an alien. Everyone thinks you're still the same person, but you feel like an alien in your world. And you have to relearn your identity. You have to relearn all your taken-for-granted realities. You've got to relearn your role. If you lose a spouse, you have to relearn what it means to be single, and single at the age that you are, not single when you before you got married. It's a different role. Your Your role in society... So it's really like everyone else is carrying on with life, taking things for granted. It's like being in a new country and having to do shopping in a supermarket and everyone else is just going about their business and you're trying to work out what the hell is this um, product and, and what's that and where do I find this 
and the most basic things like buying tissues can become a major challenge for you. So let me ask you this, because you're talking about resilience, yeah. Leonard. Um, we prepare for everything in life. We, we spend our lives preparing, right? And, and in right. case of an, an emergency and worst right. case scenario, right. but we don't prepare for death. Oh, we prepare with life insurance and we've got the insurances and we don't talk about it. We whisper, we quickly sign the papers and we don't ever want to talk about it again. But how do we prepare ourselves for death? And I'm talking about having open conversations about something that is inevitable, right. that is going to happen to all of us. So that when it does happen, because no one is excluded from the experience, right. that we are more prepared well, to deal with it. Well, actually, you've got to expand your definition of death. Because death Uh-oh, is... Uh-oh, John's going to be... Uh-oh, I can see what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Carry on, Leonard. De- death is an everyday... <laughs> this is another de- show. De- death, death is an everyday event. Yeah. We're going through losses all the time. Right from the day you give up, you leave the womb, you lose the womb. You can go right through life, and you can look at every life stage in terms of what you gain and in terms of what you lose. So all your disappointments, all your frustrations, all your expectations that never came to be are many deaths. And the more one learns to handle loss, and the more one learns to recognize um, the continual losses, um, which is the path to maturity, which is about learning to face reality and, and leave the, you know, leave the, your self-centered expectation of what life should be and face the reality of what life is. That is the process of maturing. And so the more one learns to actually embrace loss and accept loss as part of life, and the more you're preparing for the bigger losses because eventually you have to relinquish your own life. Mm. You know, mm. so the whole of life, um, is so a it's acceptance of the, change, of, acceptance of change. And, and, and the loss that comes with change. with change. And you find that people who embrace losses in, a, in a, a, an elegant way will die elegantly. And people who rage against all their violated expectations will rage, to quote Dylan Thomas, against the dying of the light. Mm. So, um, Beautiful, so, 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 so how we prepare for death is actually how we live. Sure. I'm going to end it there because that's so profound, and I think that we can all sit with that. Please say that again. I love that. Well, I said how, how you prepare for death depends on how you live. Mm, the preparation me. for death is learning to live in reality and accept losses and accept life as it is and, and appreciate life as it is. Beautiful. Leonard, thank you for coming, and lovely having you in the studio. Sorry so short. I'm, I'm so sorry this hour has, has flown by so quickly. John, six weeks. Six weeks. People get tickets where? Compu tickets? Okay, lovely. That doesn't end for some reason. Those people keep going. <laughs> Listen, thank God. Exactly. <laughs> it's nice that some things stay the same. Yeah, hallelujah. John, thank you for coming into the Thanks studio, sharing your story, your insights. You want more, and I, I really encourage you. Go along. I can't wait to see at the end John Vlissimus at Monte Casino. Nikki, thank you. A privilege having you on the show. The way you have, have expressed the journey, the experiences, how you've broken it down. Thank you. You've helped so many people listening to the show today. Michelle, thanks for being so brave. I'm talking about your beautiful late sister, Larice, her husband, and, and thank you for sharing as well. Um, it's been, what can I say, as I say, a privilege. Um, I do take care from me, Nikki Seberini, until next week. Goodbye.